Section 16 of The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Fatima da Silva. The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories by Rosa Mulholland. The Fit of Ailsie's Shoe. On a certain mellow August afternoon, an old woman was travelling along the sea girt road between Portrush and Dunluce. She wore a long grey cloak and a scarlet neckerchief thrown over her white cap. Her face was unusually sallow and wrinkled, with small, shrewd, furtive eyes. She carried a stick and halted now and then from fatigue. She looked often from right to left and from left to right over the sea, heaving helplessly under its load of blazing, brooding glory, and inland over the stretches of green and golden where cattle browsed and corn ripened. She seemed like one not assured of her way and looking for landmarks. Presently she stopped beside some boys who were playing marbles under a hedge to ask whereabouts might stand the house of one James McQuillan. "'Is it Jamie's you want?' said the eldest lad. "'There, it's up the hill yonder, with its shoulder agin the haystack. But if you're going there, I'll tell you that Elsie's out at the fair.' Mother saw her pass our door at sunrise this morning. From the way he gave his information, the urchin evidently thought that, Elsie being from home, it was worth no one's while to climb the hill to Jamie's. No way staggered in her purpose by the news, however, the old woman proceeded on her travels and took her way towards the haystack. She plodded up a green-hedged lonan, and emerged from it on a causeway of round stones bedded in clay. Here stood Jamie's, a white cottage smothered in fuchsia trees. There was a sweet scent of musk and citherwood hanging about, and a wild rose was nailed against the gable. A purple pigeon was cooing on the russet thatch, and a lazy cloud of smoke was reluctantly mingling its blue vapour with the yellowy evening air. Overtopping the chimney there rose a golden cock of new-made hay. The old woman snuffed the fragrant breath of the place, poked at the fuchsia bushes with her stick, and peered all about her with her shrewd bright eyes. At last she approached the open door, and looked across the threshold. There was a small room with a clay floor, a fire winking on the hearth, almost blinded out by the sun. A spinning wheel in the corner, an elderly woman knitting beside the window, and a check-curtained bed standing in the corner, in which a sickly man sat up with a newspaper spread on his knees. "'God save all here!' said the visitor, pushing in, her head at the door. And is this Jamie McQuillan's? As sure as my name's Jamie, said the weakly man, taking off 
his spectacles. Take a seat, ma'am. You'd be a traveller, maybe, coming home from the fair. The old woman had dropped into a chair, panting with fatigue. It's no shame for ye, she gasped, that he don't know me, seeing that he never set eyes on me before. But I'm one of the McCambridges, from beyond Loch Ney, and I've walked every foot of the road to see and yours. Why, you don't mean to say that, cried Jamie, his pale face lighting up. You don't mean to say you're Sean McCambridge's sister, Penny, own cousin to my father's second wife, that was to have stood for our Elsie at a christening, only she took a pain in her heel and couldn't stir from home. Faith, and I might have knowed you by the fine hook of your nose, always and ever the sign of the rail old blood. Throth, that same blood's thicker nor wider. Mary McCree, it's Penny McCambridge from Lockney side. Mary, the wife, now lifted her voice in welcome. Good luck to you, cousin Penny, she said. The sight of one of your folks is the cure for sore eyes. Come over and give us the shake of your hand, for not a stir can I stir this year, passed with the pains. No more nor Jamie there, that's down on his back since May. Och, it's the poor doulet's pair we'd be only for our Elsie. That's hands and feet towards both, and keeps things together out and in. A great handshaking followed this speech, and then the visitor began to inquire for Elsie, her goddaughter, that was to have been, only for the unfortunate pain in the heel. Wait a bit, wait a bit, said the father. She'll be in from the fair by and by, and then if ye don't give her the degree for the handsomest girl and the best manager that ever stepped about her house, I'll give ye lave to go back to Lockney and spend the rest of ear days searching for her equals. Wished, Jamie, said the mother. Self-praise is no praise. No more is praise of your own flesh and blood. All the same, I wished Elsie was in to make Cousin Penny the cup of tay after her travels. She was to bring a grain of the best green from Mr. McShane's in Portrush, as well as all the news from Castle Craigie, and of the doings of old Lady Betty McQuillan. More power to her. Is that the old lady that's come home from India? asked she who was called Penny McCambridge. Aye, aye, said the wife of Jamie eagerly. If passed through Portrush, and you'll maybe have the foreway of Ailsie with the news. What are they saying in the town? Well, you see, said Penny, being a stranger and speaking to few, I heard but little. But they do say that her husband was the last of the McQuillans of Castle Craigie, and that, as she has never a child of her own, all the McQuillans in the country are claiming, kin with her, and fighting among them about which will be her heir. And is that all you know, Penny dear, said Mary? Why, I have more nor that myself. Sure she's 
written round and round to every McQuillan of them all, bidding them to a grand housewarming on Wednesday come eight days, when she'll settle it all, and name who's to come after her. And though she's in London now, she'll be at Castle Craigie, afore then, to receive them. And sitch a receiving as that'll be, such fixing and furbishing as there is at the old castle. They say there never was the likes of it since the day Sir Archie McQuillan brought home his fairy bride. And then it wasn't painters and bricklayers, but the good people themselves that laid hands on the rooms. She must be a queer sort of a body, said Penny. But I hope, Jamie, that you as honest a man and as good a McQuillan as ever a one among them, I hope you haven't been shy of sending in your claim. Och, Penny, if you'd only put that much spunk into him, cried Mary with energy. It's what I'm saying to him morning, noon and night, and it's no more to him than the crickets chirping. Stop your grumbling, Mary, said the husband. There's richer nor us, and there's poorer, but we're not so main yet as to go craving for what we're not likely to get. It's not to McQuillan's like us that Lady Betty has sent her invite. And more shame for her, cried Mary, waxing wroth. Listen to me, Cousin Penny. When Lady Betty's husband, Sir Dennis McQuillan, that's dead and gone, was nothing but plain Dennis, and the youngest of seven sons, he went off and married one ordinary-faced, low-born lass called Betty O'Flanagan, and brought her all the way from County Wexford to Castle Craigie here, thinking he had nothing to do in the world but ring the gate bell and walk in with his wife. It was Christmas time, and hard weather, and sitch feasting and visiting going on at the castle, when all at once the news of the marriage come down like a clap on the family. It took six men to hold old Sir Patrick. He was in that mad a rage, and you may guess it was little welcome poor Betty got when Dennis brought her to the door. The two of them had just to turn back the way they come, and it beginning to snow, when Jamie there, that was then a lad of fifteen, he was standing out by his mother's door, and he spied them coming down the road. Betty had on a fine gown, but she looked very lonesome, poor body. And Jamie, knowing what had happened, he up and he says, Mrs. McQuillan, says he, it's coming on a storm, and it'll be hard on you going further the night, says he. And if you'll be so good as to step inside, says he, it's my mother'll be glad to see you. Poor Betty was glad to hear the word, and in she went, and stayed there she did for two weeks, till her husband got their passage taken out to India. And when she was going away, and bidding goodbye, she says to Jamie, she says, Jamie, my boy, if ever Betty McQuillan comes home from India, a rich woman, she'll find out you and yours. If you're above the earth, and mind you, she'll pay you back your good turn. Many's the time I heard the story from Jamie's mother, 
rest her soul mary went on and it's the fine fortune dennis and betty made in india two years back when the last of the brothers died without child we heard that sir dennis was coming back to end his days in castle craigie but that news wasn't stale till we heard of his death poor man and now betty's coming back alone a rich woman and a fine lady and i'll just ask you cousin penny if it wouldn't fit her better to be looking after jamie there that offered her the shelter of the roof when she was in need of it than to be hunting up a pack of high flyers the very set that sneered and sniggered over her disgrace in the drawing-room at the castle the day she was turned from the gates cousin penny had given attentive ear to the wife and now she turned to the husband what do you say to that now jamie she asked with a knowing twinkle of her shrewd bright eyes i say this cried jamie crackling and folding at his paper with energy i say that the man or boy it's all one that does a good turn expecting to be paid for it deserves no more thanks than a man that sells a cow and drives a good bargain and i say that mary ought to be ashamed to sit there talking of such a thing that happened forty years ago and if elsie was here she wouldn't but good luck to her there she is herself gone past the window all the three pairs of eyes would now turn to the doorway whose sunny space was obscured for a moment by as pretty a figure as any lover of fresh and pleasant sights could wish to see this was a ripe-faced dark-haired country girl with her coarse straw bonnet tipped over her forehead to save her eyes from the sun and her neat print gown tucked tidily up over her white petticoat come in elsie cried jamie come in and see your cousin penny mccambridge from lochney side that was to have been your godmother and has come every foot of the road from that to this to see what sort of lass you've turned out make haste and make us the cup of tea said her mother i hope you didn't forget to bring us a grain of the best green from mr mccheyne's good girl and how did your eggs and butter sell i'll lay you a shilling you haven't the sign of either one or the other to set before the stranger this day maybe i haven't though said elsie laughing it's by the fine good luck i put by two nice little pats under a dish afore i went off this morning and as for eggs if mahaffy hasn't laid one afore this time of day i'll put her in the pot for a lazy big hen and cousin penny'll stay and help to aid her a nice little meal was set and elsie flung herself on a bench to rest and now you'll have breath to tell us the news elsie said mary the mother sipping her tea complacently what's doing and saying in potrush about lady betty oh troth mother said elsie tossing her head troth i'm sick sore and tired hearing of the square old house she's pulled down on her back poor body sitch gregging and comparing you never heard since the day you were born 
the friends of one McQuillan and the friends of another, at it hard and fast for which I'll have the best chance of calling in for the old lady's favour, and such preparations. Mrs. Quinn, the housekeeper, took me all through the castle to see the new grandeur, and such curtains and pictures and marble images and such looking glasses. Faith, when I went to the drawing-room door, I thought I'd gone crazy, for half a dozen other Elsies started up in the corners and all over the walls and come to meet me with their baskets on their arms. And then there's the ballroom, where the dancing's to be, all hung round with green things, and the floor as slippy and as shiny as the duck pond was last Christmas, in the long frost. And I went in to Miss O'Trimmins, the dressmaker, to see if her toothache was better, and I do declare she could hardly reach me, her little finger across the heap of silks and muslins that she had piled about her there in her room. And while I was there, a carriage dashed up to the door, and out stepped the five Miss McQuillans from Barley Scuffling, and in they all came to have their dresses tried on, and Miss O'Chimmins kept me to hold the pins while she was fitting them, for all her girls were that busy they could hardly stop to thread their needles, and such pinching and screwing. When they went away, I said to Miss O'Trimmins, I'm thankful, says I, that none of these gowns is for me. And she laughed and says she, I wouldn't put it past you, Elsie, to be right glad to go to the same ball if you got the chance. I'm not sure of that, says I, but as for chance, my name's McQuillan, as well as it's theirs, that were here this minute looking at me as if I was the dirt under their feet. And put it to pride or not, says I, but I do think... If I was done up grand, I could manage to cut as good a figure in a ballroom as ever a one of them red-nosed things that are going to dress themselves up in all this fine grass-coloured satin. It was very impudent and ill-done of me to make such a speech, said Elsie, blushing at her confession, which had sent Cousin Penny into fits of laughter. But my blood was up somehow, with the looks of them old things from barley scuffling, and I couldn't hold my tongue. Go on, go on, Elsie, dear, said Penny, wiping her eyes. Oh, then, said Elsie, she began talking the same kind of stuff that they were bothering me with the day through, asking me why my father hadn't sent word to Lady Betty like the rest of the McQuillans, telling me we were the only ones of the name that hadn't spoken. It's just the one word in all their mouths. Mrs. McGinty, that buys my eggs, she was at it, and old Dan Carr, that takes my butter from me. I thought I'd never get him talked down, and Nancy MacDonald, that was selling sweeties in the fair, and Cathy O'Neill, that was going about with me all day, and Mrs. McShane, that I bought the tea from. Och! I couldn't remember the one half of them. And what did you say to them, Elsie dear? Asked Mary, the mother, insinuatingly. Why, said Elsie, I told them first that all the rest of the McQuillans 
about were ladies and gentlemen and would be creditable to lady betty when she made her choice but that my father was a poor man that had nothing to do with the comings and goings of gentry but when that wouldn't do i up and told them that he had too much feeling for a lonely old woman coming home without a friend in her old age to think of beginning to worry her about what would be to divide after her death afore ever she set foot in the country it's an ill welcome for all their fine talking said i and if they hadn't put her and pestered her to it she would never be for doing the queer thing she's going to do on wednesday week night and what do you think she is going to do father said elsie turning to jamie but she's to have a big cake made and a ring in it and every mcquillan at the feast gets a piece of the cake and whoever finds the ring as sure as he's there he's the one to share lady betty's fortune and come after her in castle craigie here mary the mother began to groan and rock herself and complain of the obstinacy of people who would not stretch out their hands for a piece of that lucky cake when it might be theirs for the asking jamie was getting very red in the face and crumpling his paper very fiercely when penny who had been laughing again once more wiped her eyes and taking her stick from the corner prepared to depart it's getting far in the day she said and i have a good bit further to go afore night to see my old friend Maggie mucklehern that lives in the windy gap good luck is hers she hasn't been blown out of the house and all afore this but i'll be back this way she added don't you think you've seen the last of penny mccambridge cousin jamie for faith you'll know more of me shortly if the lord spares me my breath for a wee more weeks and penny mccambridge shook hands with her kinsfolk and trotted away down the lonan as she had come End of section 16